Good morning, Grace Place family, both here on campus and online. We're so glad you're able to join us. Can you believe November is here? And for us, it means Thanksgiving. And it also means that uh, this past week, I had to go and get all of the summer air out of my tires and put the winter air in. Anybody else have to do that? Uh, because a little indicator comes on and says it's time to dump out all the old summer air and put the new winter air in. So if you haven't done that, you want to go down uh, right away to Discount Tire, tell them to take your summer air out, uh, put your winter air in so that your tires will ride nicely as you're driving down the road. Uh, it's hard to believe that, that this has, we are sweeping into Thanksgiving. So before I get into the message, I just want to talk to you a little bit about Thanksgiving, and uh, this is our season of giving above and beyond because we are trying to reach out to organizations and groups that are just doing something really awesome. And so above and beyond our tithing, we tithe to our local church for the support of the work and the ministry here. We give to Thanksgiving over the month of November. And uh, so it's an exciting time for us. We've set goals every year and you have exceeded them and beat them. And so last year we had set a goal at 10,000 for outside giving. You gave over $11,500, which meant you sent <laughs> which meant you sent me scrambling to try to figure out uh, you know how to go ahead and, and additionally help these groups because we don't keep anything. We don't use any of those funds for uh, you know, marketing or anything at all. They come, everything you give to us, we send right to those ministries. So what wound up happening last year was we had uh, uh, a Re Native American reservation we sent a soundboard to Leslie Bell, pastors there for her uh, choir, children's choir, and to help them. And uh, so we were able to send that board to them. But when you got the additional funds, I said, uh, how are you on your microphone? She goes, well, I could really use a, a lavalier mic, you know, a preaching mic. I have to hold a mic. And we said, oh, we, we can take care of that. So we, you had given additional funds. We gave her that uh, for our Feed the People. We were able to give them uh, more funds. And uh, so they, they are serving here in Austin uh, underneath the bridge. And they go out and, and provide food and clothing and all kinds of great things. Not only were we able to give them additional funds, but the youth group and some of you uh, who are here had participated in giving uh, little these little packets that had all kinds of neat stuff for them to help them out. And uh, so it, it was just neat to be able to be a part of that. What was the third thing we could? The guitar class, that's right. We were able to up what we did for the guitar class. I just was in their uh, reunion celebration in the 10 years that we have been on the property here, this is a free class, six-week course. We teach people to play guitar. Over 4,000 people have come through these doors to take that class. Isn't that great? And the greatest thing about that is over 4,000 people have heard the testimony of Brian Pilon about how he came to Jesus Christ and gave his life. Uh, so we are, again this year, we are uh, bringing in Feed the People. We're gonna, we're gonna work with them. Uh, we have a Native American reservation that we are uh, participating in. It's a different one who has a similar kind of need for sound systems. These things age and age out, and so that's kind of happened to them. And so we're excited about that, and we're encouraging you. You can go online. You can give uh, through our, if you're here present, uh, tithing envelopes. You can just mark 
the portion of your gift that's going towards Thanksgiving, and we will uh, put that where it goes. But we're excited that this season is here, and uh, we're thankful for all that God has done. And I, I really think that the value of going through Thanksgiving more than anything else is that we turn our gratitude towards God, and we, we take a whole month to focus on how much we appreciate all He has given already. It's easy for us to get focused on what we don't have. That's what the enemy loves to do. It's easy for us to get focused on our own problems and issues of our life because they're right in front of us. And the crises and the worries we'll talk about this morning that seem to consume our life and our time and our energy and our resources. But this month, we are going to say, thank you, God, for all you have done. And we trust you that whatever we're facing, you're going to bring us through. Amen. You have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6 uh, is our focus today, Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 31. And what we're going to be talking about all month long is first, uh, putting God first in our life. But the, the initial message here is that the, com the competition for first in our lives is uh, incredible, isn't it? We are constantly uh, engaged in, in uh, different kinds of things that are competing for our first. They want the, the first of our attention, the first of our resources, first of the month there are bills to pay, first, 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 are always competing for our time and our attention and our resources and our energies. And so we're going to talk about what God has to say about that. Here we are in Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 31. Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I was interested in a recent article that was published. Uh, it's a work that was published in a medical journal on uh, worry and uh, what that does in our daily lives. And, and they took a, a group and uh, they uh, walked them through this process of journaling their worries and uh, taking paying particular attention to how much time was focused, energy was focused, resources were focused on worries. So uh, here are some of the stats on that, okay? On average, 91.39% of participant worries did not come true. Isn't that good news? 91.39% <laughs> of the worries didn't come true. And uh, in a pandemic season, that's good news, right? Only 8.61% uh, of the worries did come true. And uh, for the participants, uh, about one out of four, uh, every four participants, none of their worries came true at all. Zero. So that was incredible news. It's also uh, worth noting that few of the worries did come true. Uh, and among those that did, participants rated about a third of them is having turned out better than they expected. So among those worries that actually did come true, uh, the participants said they, they came out much better than they had actually expected them to. 
And yet, for all of that, uh, we find in, in our lives and in the lives of those around us that worry consumes us, it, and it, it consumes our time, it consumes our energy, and it consumes our focus. And this um, particular research found that to be true as well. And what they found out was an average participants found that worrying took about 25.88% each day of their thinking time. So a quarter of their thinking time was spent uh, or around their worries, their concerns, their fears. And about 43.12% of the two-hour block of time that they had uh, in order to record their worries for a journal was spent around their worries and thinking about their worries and assessing them and trying to figure them out. So even when they got to their journals and were trying to record them, Almost half of that time was spent focused on their worries. And perhaps, and more importantly, worrying had a significant emotional cost on the, the participants of this study. During their early part of their treatment, participants reported that the average uh, distress rating was about 4.51 out of 7. So they had a moderate to high level of distress centered around the things that they were worrying about. Worry was taking a tremendous toll on each one of these lives. And it's true of all of us that worry consumes so much time, so much energy, and so much of our resources. Corey Tinboom uh, wrote this, and I thought it was uh, fitting for today. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. It does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but it empties today of its strength. In large and in small ways, worry indicates what we have prioritized or placed first in our life. I once preached a message back when we were in Phoenix called the tyranny of the urgent. I was talking about how that we carry around kind of a portfolio with us of things that have, have clamored for our attention. And they are getting our focus, our energy, our time, our worry, because they are just urgent kinds of things. They're the, uh, the plumbing problems and the mechanical problems and, and uh, the fears at work and all of the distresses that are centered around the things that we want life to be, and yet life has not been working out that way. And so energies and resource and time are being plowed into these kinds of things, and they are indicating that they are rising in our lives to a priority level, and they are moving up in our life into a first position. And what we put first in our life really does matter. Each day is filled with more and more competition for our time and for our attention. There are all kinds of things that are competing to zero in our attention and our focus on a day-by-day -day basis. And they are competing for our attention versus God. And they are putting God in competition for our attention and our focus. Little decisions that we make every day can make a huge impact on what becomes first in our life. What most worries us gets most of our attention, gets most of our time, gets most of our resources. It competes for the best of us and leaves God the rest of us, right? 
Let's say that together because we have it up here. It competes for the best of us and leaves God the rest of us. I should read it, shouldn't I? Let's do it again together. <laughs> it competes for the best of us while God often gets just the rest. Amen. We leave behind just the rest of us for God. And it's really a sad picture, isn't it? It's so sad that we are bringing to God not our best. It's an accusation that came about me early in our marriage relationship. I was giving a lot of energy and time and focus to my career field. And uh, I was having meetings stacked on top of meetings, one right after another. And so by the time I got home late in the evening and I left early in the morning, I was a cranky, um, not uh, so compassionate, loving, gentle person. I was frustrated by things that had happened in the course of my day, concerned about things that I had heard, worries had risen to a particular level in my life over my church and over things that are going on. There's probably nothing except being a stockbroker that's quite like being the pastor of a church. You know, you can hit the lottery on one day and it's just it spikes and things are going great. And that's what happens for pastors sometimes on Sunday. Oh, we had the greatest service in the world. And then two or three phone calls after the service, it's like, my church is about to split. <laughs> and people are going a different direction. Teachers quit classes and, and uh, people say they're mad at someone else or they thought you preached about them and so on and so forth. And so I was not bringing the best of myself home and my wife challenged me with it. Why does the church get the best of you and we get the worst? Oh man, it hit me so hard. And I started thinking about that in respect to what we're talking about today. Why does our worries and concerns get the best of us? And God gets the rest of us, what's left, what's behind. In terms of our, our worship, it's not pure, it's not, uh, it, it's not the first that we are offering to God. It is way behind what we are offering God, our leftovers. We do it in so many ways. We do it in, in terms of our giving. We, do, uh, we give to God not what he asks of us to give, the first fruits of our uh, in terms of our, our, our offerings to him and our gifts to him, but we bring him the leftovers at the end of the month when something is balanced out and we've checked off every box and paid the bills that we want to pay and done the things that we want to do. We bring that to God. God doesn't get the best of us in terms of service. We serve when we're compelled to or we're asked to. We're not generally running to ask, how can I help or what can I do? but we are just sitting back and waiting. And, and if we have a little extra time, if the day is free, if things aren't you know, weighing heavy on us, then, then maybe we'll go. And even when we do that, sometimes we're not offering the very best of ourselves. We're not the very best teacher we could be. We're not the very best uh, media team member we could be. We're not the very best worship member we could be. We're not the very best greeter we could be. We're not the very best uh, helper we could be, right? God gets the rest of us. The passage that we read a moment ago contains this sentence that's so vitally important for us to understand. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. I'm going to turn to your neighbor and say that to them. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. One more time, say it to him. For your heavenly Father 
knows that you need all these things. Worry is exactly where the enemy would like to keep the children of God. Living in fear of the future cheats you out of the joy of living today. Out of the joy of experiencing this moment today. A precious moment tugs at our hearts like a child might be tugging at our sleeve. And too often we miss that moment because we're so concerned with ourselves, with something else that's going on in our lives that likely will not happen. But we have given so much energy, so much resources, so much time to it. And the Bible has a word for what our worries are doing uh, in our life. And that word is the word idolatry. Our worries are developing and molding and sculpting idols that we will give our time and our talent and our resources to. I thought back about um, from ancient times, and you know what, what struck me this week, or what I was thinking about. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie Apocalypto, and uh, it's really an epic film, and it's set back in uh, in an ancient time, and uh, it's when the um, the these tribes were were gathered together, and uh, they would go out uh, and and bring in. I think it's the Aztec, was the Aztec, or the, um, when it, uh, they would bring in slaves, and they were sacrificing them in the movie because there was no rain. There was only sun bleaching the, the earth, and, and there hadn't been rain for many days, and so they were, they were thinking to themselves, there's a, there's a God that's unhappy with us, and so we need to sacrifice this God. And you can see how idolatry will play out in our lives that as you, as you watch this film and you see, you know, oh, I would never do that. But in many ways, we are sacrificing to these gods that are causing us to worry and to fear about something that is on the horizon that may happen or may not happen. And here they were so fearful and afraid of, of no rain, and they were sacrificing one after another of, of lives to this God who didn't exist. They had raised up as an idol. Uh, that was supposedly going to rescue them if he's satiated with enough blood from humanity. What is first in your life really matters. Mike Slaughter said, anything or anyone that receives the primary focus of our energy or resources, which should first belong to God, is an idol. Is an idol. So it can be a person. It can be a thing, a particular thing, that we are giving more of our focus and our energy to and resources to that rightfully belong to God. What's first in our life really, really matters. And it identifies idolatry that is rising up in our life. What most consumes us and focuses our energy and resources is telling us something about what we are giving our worship to. The next phrase there uh, in that passage says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. The Father knows what you need. And so seek first what he wants for your life because he's the one that provides it anyway. 
He's the one that brings rain when rain is necessary. He's the one that, that fills uh, our hearts with joy, with peace, with contentment. He's the one that fills our home with children, with laughter. He's the one that fills our lives with love. Focus your attention where your attention belongs. Firsts are important to God. Remember that the first commandment that was given in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 was, you shall have no other gods before me. God will not compete with you for first place with your worries and with your concerns. He's not in competition with false gods and idols. He alone is God, and he wants your best. We become like who we worship is why God wants us to focus on him and give our time and our energy most to him. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 135, 15 through 18, the idols of the nations are silver and gold made by human hands. Listen to this. They have mouths that cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, nor is there breath in their mouths. Read this last line with me. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Those who make them will be like them. And I want you to think right now about your greatest fears and your worries that are developing into idolatry in, in your life and think about, is that really what I want to be like? Do I really want to be like that? Think about those that you may be looking at and doing comparison tests and saying, that's really the life that I would want or that's what I, what I would like. And yet you have not truly evaluated what is going on in that home and what really life is like, is that really what you want, or do you want God's very best for your life? Idols never deliver what we think they are promising to deliver to our lives. In fact, if you get through a particular worry, and that season passes, then that, that worry does not disappear. It shows up again, doesn't it? Over and over and over in your life. How many of you have been fearful about your job or a, or, or a, a particular uh, lead person at work that oversees your work or a direct report uh, more than once in your life? Yeah. How many of you have been concerned about finances more than once in your life? How many of you have been concerned about you know, taking care of your family and providing for your family more than once in your life? How many of you have been concerned about having a, an automobile that will drive you back and forth to where you need to go more than once in your life, right? So these things don't ever give you what they promise they'll give you, which is in our sense we say, you know, if we just get through this, we're never going to have to face it again. We're going to be blessed and we're going to be taken care of and it's all going to be good, right? We had a brand new car one time that we were so happy to have, and uh, we were thinking that uh, this has solved some problems. You know, we were having some car trouble before the previous automobile. This new car will solve a problem. I drove Michelle to work in this brand new car. I dropped her off at work, and I started to drive down uh, the exit, and as I am getting ready to exit, I see my tire going past me and rolling down <laughs> on a brand new vehicle. <laughs> I was like, you didn't live up to your standards. <laughs> 
You did not provide for me like I thought you would, right? Only God comes through for us and provides. We must be able to identify and eliminate everything that's competing for attention with God in our life. You cannot worship the gift at the expense of the giver. We have to be able to identify these things, and the important reason is that we are, by identifying this, we're going to see the idolatry that's, that's trying to rise up in our lives, and we're going to be able to put it in check and put God first by trusting Him. You experience life differently when you make Christ your life priority. You see, Jesus is not a category in your priorities. He is the priority. He is the way you see life and the way you make decisions about things that will be categorized in your life. He is not just a category. Well, I need to make sure that, you know, while I'm making this list, that Jesus is on the list. No, Jesus is the list, right? He's he's the center of everything. Life is about him. It's not about us, about our cares, about the situations that are going on. He knows what you need. And he says, seek me first. Take a moment to assess what has worried you most recently. Don't raise your hand, but think through this. The upcoming election, the pandemic, your job, your marriage, your children, your future, financial debt, car troubles, safety and security. All of those things can turn into worries and develop idols in our lives. But here's how we can reorder them and enthrone Jesus. First of all, let's trust him. Let's take him at his word, what he said. I know what you need. He talks about being what a good father is like. A good father isn't like, I know what you need and I'm enjoying watching you suffer, right? A good father's like, I was thinking about myself, and even as a, as a, as a grandfather, as a papa, you know, it kicks me into to super mode speed when there's a need that arises with one of our grandkids. And it did the same thing when it was our children. I'm just running around trying to, and while all the time they're crying, I'm trying to fix it. Now, I can't calm them while they're crying and, and tell them, like, look at me. You know, I'm really working hard to get the thing that you need to calm you down, right? I mean, they're not going to understand it. They have no idea. God's ways are higher than our ways. And, and so we don't understand that, that we've scrambled heaven with a particular need, and it's all being met, and God's got this angel doing that, and he's doing this, and different things are going on, and, and he's not t- taking the time to just explain to us while we're going, wah, you know? But God loves us, and he's moving around quickly trying to secure and meet our needs. And the greatest thing about it is that he's been in your tomorrow already. So he knows what your tomorrow is all about, and he's already got things set in place, right? Because he loves you, and he cares about you. So trusting him is the first way we enthrone him in our lives. The second way is that we worship him. We worship him. We we prioritize him uh, by worshiping him first. This is the Lord's day. We were instructed in Scripture to take the first day of the week and to come together and worship. But that's not the extent of all there is about worship. Our daily time 
to worship him and give him glory and to praise him and to thank him for everything that we have. It sets, you know, our affections on things above, as it says in, in Colossians, and not on things on the earth. When I worship him, you know, I'm starting to see the, the problems and the circumstances from a different perspective. I have a great big God, and I have really little bitty problems in the light of a great big God. And so it begins to set things in kind of a priority. The third one is express your thanksgiving to him. There was a song that we used to sing, a hymn that we sang when I was little. It was count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. When we take time to be grateful and have gratitude, we have so much to be thankful for. I, I count my blessings every time I, I have encounters like we had this weekend with all of our children at home and the grandchildren around us. And I'm counting my blessings and thinking about how good God has been to me. How great God has been to me. It, it, it helps me not to think about what, you know, the, the enemy would like me to think about what I don't have, what I might not have experienced, where I might not have gone. had a, you know, a, a, a dream since I was probably my early 30s about going to the Galapagos Islands. Love, would love to do that, you know. But if that doesn't happen before I go home, I'm sure I won't be disappointed when I get to heaven. <laughs> Right? And there's probably going to be another opportunity for me to visit. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And uh, I would love to see that. That would be incredible. But I don't think about what I haven't done or where I haven't gone or what I haven't experienced. I focus my mind on the greatness of God and what he has supplied and what he's given. He's given me a beautiful, faithful, wonderful wife who takes better care of me than, than I have a right to be, you know, taken care of. I earn nothing, and she gives it anyway. It's incredible what God has given us. Just the breath of life, the beauty of the world as we go out. I love art. I love looking at art, and, and uh, I get lost sometimes when we get the chance to go to art galleries and just get lost in a painting and I'll count things in the painting, you know, how many steeples are in this painting or, you know, how many steps and picture myself there and just get lost in it. I'm amazed by people who have that gift, you know, to bring to life something that we have seen, the beauty around us. And, and I'm so grateful for every opportunity to do that. Are we expressing our gratitude and thanksgiving to God on a regular basis? And lastly, follow him. Follow him. That's obedience. That's being a follower. We talk about here a lot about the difference between being a fan of Jesus and being a follower of Jesus. Just this morning, uh, we revisited that. Jamie and I were having a conversation that it involved, uh, you know, the holiday uh, past, uh, Halloween, Christians, how Christians view uh, Halloween. Won't go into that. You can read about it. I wrote a blog on it that you can look up if you want to look it up and see where I am at on, on that position. 
But what we were ultimately getting back down to is a lot of people identify themselves as Christians. And they, and they wear that label, you know, uh, like, like we wear the label of being Americans because we're, we're born in America. And, and yet there, uh, there is no, uh, there is those, those two things both involve more than just being born somewhere, right? More than just going to church and more than, if you're truly American, you believe in the value of America. You believe in the things that have been held precious. You believe in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And, and you believe all of that if you're really an American citizen. If you really have bought into that and that's, that's who you are and you identify as that, you, you buy into all of that. You believe it. And the same is true with being a Christian. It's not just knowing about the Bible. It's not just going to church. It's not singing worship songs. It's not having the little fluttery things that go on inside of your heart. We had uh, two uh, young ladies who were from uh, the Mormon community that came to our house a couple of years ago as a new Mormon temple was being built here in Round Rock. And they wanted to invite us to become Mormons. We always invite them in. Come on, let's go. You know, We love the Jehovah's Witness. We love the Mormons. Come on in. And we were talking to them, and one of the things that they will tell you that, that uh, is a part of their converting to Mormonism is they feel this burning within their bosom, they call it. It's a burning within their bosom. And what it is, it's very real for all of us. All of us have had those moments of burning within us. It was the, 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 men, the two men on the road to Emmaus. Did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke, spake to us along the way? But what happens after that encounter is, is the most important thing, not that. Because that happens, I think, to every person on the planet in one way or another. Not necessarily maybe a God encounter, but a burning inside of you for uh, a, a romantic situation or a burning inside of you uh, for a job or a, a calling or a passion. But what happens is the transformation of true repentance leads to following Jesus Christ. Yeah. It does not lead to your, your continued living your life out the, in the best way that you think, your thoughts and your ideas. But when, you are, when we talk about being a follower of Jesus, we're talking about somebody that's prioritizing, obeying God on a daily basis, seeing every decision and the worldview uh, through the lens of that relationship with God, with God through Jesus Christ. Amen? And so you can have that burning, you can have that emotional thing that goes on. But if it doesn't lead to you making the steps towards repentance and, and surrendering your life to him and making him Lord and leader over your life and living that out on a daily basis, then you are just a fan of Jesus. And you are not a follower of Jesus. Everything that we have come uh, that we have in our lives has come from God. He created the heavens and the earth, and he made us, and he breathed the very breath of life into our lungs. He gave each of us time, treasure, and talents to use while we're living on the earth. And he intends for those things to be dedicated to him and his purpose, his mission for life. You're wondering why you're not fulfilled in the sense of your answer, you know, you're living out in, in, in your passions and your desires and your dreams, the things that were built into your DNA by God, and, and yet there's no fulfillment. It's, it's often because we're not living them out for His glory. 
I love what David Wilkerson said years ago, a um, great giant in the faith who's passed on now, but he said, you know, that not everything that is done for God is, is going to be blessed when we meet God or, or God will even recognize, right? What? Not everything that's done for God will be blessed. All this goodness that I did, I gave to the poor, I helped people out, you know, I was nice to that person, I could have been mean to them, I gave this person a job, you know, I, I, was, I was a good father, I was a good husband, I was whatever, you know, I did these things that I should have done, there was more good in my life than there was bad in my life, and I weighed this out, and you know, what is God talking about, and when, what does David Wilkerson mean, what does he mean when he says that, that's, that God will not even recognize that, that God that, that's of no value to God? Because the Bible clearly states that only what's done for God's glory if you got the glory in it, if someone said, thank you, what a wonderful dad you are, and it ultimately didn't point in some way back to Heavenly Father, you got your blessing. Enjoy it. But don't expect that on the day that God is handing out and rewarding that he recognizes that. It was not for his glory, it was for yours. It's important that each day we honestly appraise where we are spending our time, our talent, and our resources. We have to get brutally honest with ourselves and say, what is consuming me? What is worrying me? What is bringing about fear in me? What is getting 25% of my thinking time? Half of my practical working out planning time. What is it that gets that? Is that God? Or is there something else that's getting it? And it's vital to assess our worries on a daily basis and dismiss them by enthroning God. Don't worry about the things you need. I know that you need them. And I'm a good Heavenly Father. A good Father, he says in another passage of Scripture, does, if his children come asking for bread, he doesn't give them stones. Like, ha ha, you asked for bread. Here's your stone. I'm a good father. I know you have needs. I have set things in motion because I looked into your tomorrow and the, all of heaven's been scurrying around. Uh, your needs are going to be met. Maybe not all your wants, but your needs are going to be met in your tomorrow. Your needs are already provided for and met for your today. I'm asking our worship team to come and, and join me. Ultimately, we have to land the plane with this. Worry is worthless. Jesus is priceless. Worry is worthless. Most of the things that we are uh, giving our time, resources, talents to are going to disappear. They're going to have no, no value. But listen, God knows what you need. He put it in your heart. From the very beginning. You know, there are people that are sitting here this morning who there are things that you're wondering if God has forgotten that you feel you want, that you need in your life. Your life is not completely fulfilled yet because there's an empty place there for something. And you're saying, I, I, I just, I don't understand why I'm seeing it happen for other people, but it's not happening for me. And a lot of our attention and time and worry has been put into trying to assess and figure out 
And God's saying, I know what you have need of. And I'm encouraging you to prioritize me first in your life. Seek me first. Because nothing will ever fill that place like I can fill that place. And when you invite me in and I I have full realm and, and rule there, all the things that I've always wanted for you are a part of that. They just come along with the package. What blocks them is when you have idols of worship and worry that are set up in front that I can't get in and bring the gifts and the blessings and the things that I so desire for your life. Worry is worthless. Jesus is priceless. He's priceless. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. This is a place of surrender for us, Lord, where we have prioritized other things first. But as we begin this first day of Thanksgiving season for us as a group, as a congregation, as a people, we want to own what we have been giving most of our time, our talent, our resources to. And we want to dethrone that and enthrone you. We want to say, Lord, we trust you. We take you at your word that what you have promised you want to bring into our lives. And so we are going to begin today by enthroning you as Lord of Lords and King of Kings over our lives and inviting you to lead us and to direct every step of our life along the way. It's useless for us to be consumed with worry about things that we can't change. Why not pour our energies, time, and resources into worshiping you and loving you and seeking you first, for you promised that all these things would be added to our lives if we do. And so we take a moment just to worship you. Let's worship him as we sing together.